Well, those who know me know that I love a good chocolate chip cookie. Probably not just one. I like a bunch of chocolate chip cookies. Uh, and and I, it always amazes me how that you can take such crazy ingredients, combine them together, heat them up at just the right temperature for the right amount of time, and you get something that is absolutely pleasurable to me. I mean, just think about it. It takes the ingredients for a pleasing chocolate chip cookie, one cup of butter, one cup of sugar, one cup of packed brown sugar, two eggs, a teaspoon of salt, uh, two teaspoons of vanilla extract, one teaspoon of baking soda, sorry, a half a teaspoon of salt. If you do a teaspoon of salt, you might be in trouble. Three cups of all-purpose flour and two to six cups of chocolate chips. I, I like the six side, maybe not the two side, but, but uh, you take all those ingredients, you mix them up in a bowl at just the right time, at just the right way, you, you dole them out on a sheet, you put them in the oven uh, for just the right amount of time, and you pull them out at just the right time under the right amount of heat, and you have something absolutely pleasurable. Well, more than uh, a chocolate chip cookie that is pleasing to me, the bigger question is, how can we be the church that is pleasing to God? What are the ingredients that our church needs? What are the ingredients that you and I need as followers of Jesus in order to be pleasing to God? And we all want to be pleasing to God if we're a follower of Christ, and many who aren't even followers of Christ, they, they, they have within them a yearning and a desire to please God. But um, how do you do that? How can we be the church that pleases God? How can we be a follower of Jesus that pleases God? What are the ingredients? Now, that's what Paul and Timothy do as they continue their prayer. Now, last week, we looked at the beginning of the prayer, specifically verses 3 through 8 of Colossians chapter 1. Today, we're looking at the continuation of that prayer, beginning in verse 9 all the way to verse 14. Read along with me, Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. Paul and Timothy write, for this reason, we, that's Paul and Timothy, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with all uh, with the knowledge of God uh, knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord being fully pleasing to him so you see the direction of this prayer is that we together might walk worthy of the Lord that we together would be fully pleasing to him, that, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power toward all patience and longsuffering, with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light, and he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Uh, as we look at this passage together, I want us to take some time 
and consider uh, what we're to be about every single day as a church and as followers of Jesus. And that is, we are to be pleasing to God. We want to be pleasing to God as the church. We don't want to walk a path that is contrary. So today, I want to challenge you to join me as we join Paul, and we pray to pursue God's pleasure together. We pray that that we would pursue God's pleasure together, and and the, the, the content of our prayer describes the ingredients that it's going to take for us to please God together. We pray that we would pursue God's pleasure. Now, prayer is an important piece here. Prayer is so essential. It's it's such a powerful component of, of, of the Christian life. It is such the life source and lifeblood of what we do. It's conversation with God. It, is, uh, it stands at the bedrock of who we are as a church. Prayer is not just some religious ritual that we throw out there at dinner time. Prayer is the mighty conversation with the King of glory that propels us forward to accomplish His purpose. And prayer is something we need to be doing for ourselves, but also for one another. We need to be in prayer. We need to be in prayer for those around us, for those in the seven cities of Hampton Roads, those who know God and those who don't God, don't know God. We need to pray. We need to pray that they would see God, that they would see his love, that they would see his grace, that they would come to faith in Christ and be brought into the family of God. We need to pray for Um, churches that are gathering together, uh, whether it's online or in person, all around the seven cities of Hampton Roads as they navigate um, the uh, tumult in our uh, country today. I think of my uh, pastor friends and newly made pastor friends who lead predominantly black churches who long to please God with their whole heart, but they also need to speak a word of comfort and encouragement to their churches. Will you join me in praying for them? And that you would pray for us uh, to come alongside them and encourage them and strengthen them and and to learn from them and to be uh, brothers and sisters of Christ to them that we um, would join together and bring pleasure to God. We need to pray. Uh, So uh, this is a prayer that Paul is praying, so it's a prayer that we should pray, but it's a prayer that, that, that talks to us about what it takes to bring pleasure to God. Now, just a quick a quick moment here. One of the reasons, one of the hang-ups that we have in praying this prayer is that we forget that the prayer has as its purpose God's pleasure, not our pleasure. And this is one of the greatest um, obstacles that we have and have had and continue to have and probably will have until Jesus returns as a church and as a follower of Jesus. So often we define uh, a church is pleasing God based upon how it's pleasing me. That's just not right. That's just not biblical. There's nothing in Scripture that says that you measure the church and its faithfulness to God and it's pleasing God by how much it pleases you. Um, now, that is just the antithesis 
of everything Jesus has taught us and the gospel inspires us to be. No, this church exists for God's pleasure. This is our primary goal. Our, our greatest ambition is the pleasure of God. And so we need to pray that God would show us not how we can please ourselves, nor even how we can please each other, but rather how do we first and foremost please God. That needs to be our prayer for our family, for our friends, for ourselves, for our church. So, what Paul does is he breaks down his prayer in four specific ingredients. And, and the, the first ingredient we read about is, is uh, in verse 9. He says, uh, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. This is the first ingredient that we need to pray God to give us, to give our church, to give our family, to give our friends, that we might soak in the knowledge of God's will. Now, this makes sense, doesn't it? It it just makes sense. If I want to please somebody, I got to know what they want. And isn't that really what Paul is saying? Isn't that really what Scripture is teaching? We, we want to please God. That's part of who we are as followers of Jesus. We have a built into our DNA a, a, a deep yearning and a desire, a mandate from the Spirit speaking to our spirit. We are called to please God. Romans 8 is an entire chapter that's dedicated to pleasing God and how we come to that and in, in spirit-inspired, walking in the spirit, not in the flesh, flesh, so that we can please God. So pleasing God is pretty essential to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But if we're going to please God, we got to know what God wants. Again, if I am uh, an employee at a business and I have a supervisor, if I'm going to do well in my role as an employee, I need to know what my supervisor wants. I want to know what he wants so that I can do what he wants and please him. In the same way, if you're married, you have a husband or a wife, and, and, and if you're going to please your husband or wife, you got to know what they want. Edie and I have been married 29 years on July the 12th. Uh, 29 years, we dated uh, sometime before that, but it only starts counting when you're married. And, and so for 29 years, we uh, have learned uh, how to please each other. Now, I, I, this is more than just getting a checklist, although checklists are great. Edie and I have given each other checklists. This is how you, you show me that you love me. This is how you please me. And, and so that's important, but, but the goal of the checklist is not just so I can check the box. The goal of the checklist is to make sure that I am doing the things that please our spouse. Now, we want to please our spouse because our spouse is our love. It is the mandate of love that we seek to please God. God himself has loved us with the greatest love. There is no love greater than God's love for you and me. And the measure of that love is what he did. Uh, And really the story of Genesis to Revelation is the story of God's rescuing love coming to sinners like you and me in the person of Jesus Christ. That God let go the royal robes of heaven and took on the skin and stepped in the sandals of a baby 
in Bethlehem, that God became flesh and dwelt among us, and his name is Jesus, and he walked among us, and he lived among us, and he displayed the glory of God among us, and he did all of that in perfect obedience to his Father in heaven, and in perfect alignment to what it means to be made, and, uh, to, be, to, to, to be a displayer of God's glory. He did all of that, and then he determined to die. He died not as an example. He died not merely as, 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 as one who was oppressed. He died for one reason. And in the, in the plan of God and the purpose of God, Jesus died on behalf of sinners like you and me. He took our place upon a cross. He died for us. That's Colossians 1.14. Colossians 1.14, in whom, Jesus, we have redemption, rescued through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. This this is what love looks like. God manifests his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And what is our response to that great love? A life, a love that has changed our life, that has moved us out of the power and the realm of darkness and translated us and conveyed us into the realm the kingdom of the Son that is marked by love, how do we respond? It is to live for God's pleasure. Now, here is what it looks like to worship God. We live, we breathe, we move, we act for God's pleasure. Now, how are we going to please him? We got to know his will. That's why Paul begins with this prayer that, that we might know, be saturated, be soaked in a knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, so let me just, uh, again, give a little aside here. How do I know God's will? As a follower of Jesus, by the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you may be religious, but if you're not a follower of Jesus, you cannot know God's will and you cannot please God. It's just that simple. So uh, the first step in pleasing God is entering into his family through faith in Jesus Christ. But if you are a follower of Christ, well, what, is it, what does it mean to please God? How do I know God's will? Well, here's the journey I take every day. First, I take the time to read what God has written. Again, reading the story of God's great love displayed through Christ from Genesis to Revelation, taking time to understand God's heart, to, 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 to plumb the depths of his sovereign purpose, his design, and his desire. I take time each day to read God's word. And while I'm reading God's word, I take the time, part two, I take the time and I ask the Spirit of God to open my eyes to see the will of God revealed by the Word of God and then apply it to my everyday circumstance. So every day is a journey where I open God's Word and I read it. And in reading it, I ask the Spirit of God to open my eyes to see the will of God. And I ask the Holy Spirit to apply the will of God found in the Word of God to the situations in my daily life. And that's spiritual wisdom and understanding. The spiritual part is the Holy Spirit opening our eyes and applying it to our everyday experience. It is wisdom is knowing what God wants or knowing the will of God. 
understanding is the application to our daily circumstances. So, so here's uh, the journey that we need to be on. We need to know God's will. How do we know God's will? We come into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. God puts his spirit within us so that we can fa- uh, fathom what this, uh, this love letter is all about, this story of God's rescuing love. And as we every day read God's word, we ask the spirit of God to open our eyes to see the will of God, and then apply the Word of God and the will of God to our everyday circumstance, to our relationships, to our job, to the decisions, to our uncertainties. Oh, Spirit of God, will you give me wisdom and understanding? And as we do that, we begin to understand and to know, to to take hold of, to soak in the knowledge of God's will. If we're going to please God, we got to know what He wants. But can I also say that there is no knowing without doing. See, Paul goes on and he says, he says that uh, I, I do not cease to pray and ask that, that, uh, that you might be filled uh, with uh, the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He goes on, so that you might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. There is no knowing God's will without doing God's will. If you say, I know what God wants, but you're not doing what God wants, then you don't really know what God wants. The knowledge of God's will corrects the way we live our life. The knowledge of God's will directs the way we live our life. There's no knowing without doing. Think of it this way. When I was uh, in first grade, I, I had uh, some uh, walking problems. I, I had some weird things about my feet. And, and so uh, we went to the doctor. My parents took me to the doctor, and they said, uh, we, you know, what can we do about this? And they said, okay, we're going to put correctors on Eric's legs, and he's going to have to wear those correctors until his walking is corrected. And sure enough, that's exactly what they did. Now, these correctors, I, I called them braces. These correctors, they had a belt, and you put the belt on. They had this, these, uh, this cable, this uh, bar that went down your legs. You attach it at the knees, and then uh, they were attached to special shoes. And the, you'd wear those shoes every day, and they weren't cool shoes. They weren't Nike Air Jordans or anything like that. They were, they were goofy-looking shoes. Now, kind of like the way I wear, the kind I wear now. Uh, but for a first grader, these kind of shoes were not very cool. So I had to wear those, uh, those braces, those correctors every day. And I would get up in the morning and I would put on my clothes and I put these braces or these correctors on uh, over top my clothes and it was goofy. It looked goofy. It was a little bit embarrassing. I didn't really like it. And you, if you want to know what the look like, it's a Forrest Gump kind of look when Forrest Gump was a little kid, the braces he wore. And when they said to me, run, Forrest, run, I didn't run fast enough for the braces to break. But I had to wear those. Now, I'm thankful that I wore them because they corrected the way I walk. And so today I walk in a way that's semi-normal because I had that correction. That's what the knowledge of God's will does for us. It helps correct the way we live our lives and direct the way we live our lives. But in order for us to walk in that path, we've got to know God's will. We've got to do God's will. But when we know God's will and do God's will, then we please God. 
And that's our goal. So the first ingredient is to soak in a knowledge of God's will. Not soak in the knowledge of your own emotions. Not soak in the knowledge of culture's expectations. Not soak in the knowledge of all the, 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 the Twitter feeds and Facebook posts. No, we need to soak in the knowledge of God's will. That's the first order of business. The first ingredient to a life and a church that is pleasing to God. The second ingredient, uh, Paul goes on, he says that, that you might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. And then he adds this phrase, uh, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. So the second ingredient is expressed in those two phrases, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. What is this ingredient? It is growing in service and in fellowship with God. We're going to please God. We've got to know what he wants. We need to soak in the knowledge of God's will, and we need to grow. Anytime you see this grow in the knowledge of God, that, that phrase, grow in the knowledge of God, that means you need to grow in relationship with God. You need to grow in your intimate um, uh, experience with God. You need to know him more, and you need to open more of your life up to him. Uh, but what does it mean to, uh, uh, to bear fruit in every good work? Well, bearing fruit in every good work means I'm doing the work that God wants me to do. It is I, I'm, I'm praising God. I, it's what you're doing right now. It's worshiping God, praising him, opening God's word, studying, allowing God's word, the spirit of God, speak through God's word to correct your life, your attitude, your actions. It is uh, sharing the gospel with those who are far from God that they might find life uh, through Christ. It's being a comfort and an encourager to those who, are, uh, who feel oppressed or out outside. Uh, we, it, it, is, it is being kind to your neighbor. It's saying a good word. It's loving one another. Uh, it is, it, it, th those are the things that we know to do. And so every good work is, is we're bearing fruit. We're seeing the church bear fruit and people coming to faith in Christ and growing as followers of Christ. And it's a cycle of maturity that we see throughout Scripture, but especially in this prayer. It's a cycle of maturity. So uh, when I come into a relationship with God, I want to please God. How do I please God? Well, I do the things that he wants me to do. That's bearing fruit in every good work, in every circumstance, in every situation, whether it's at work or at home or with my friends or with my neighbors or in my church. I'm going to do what God wants. I'm going to bear fruit in every good work. And as I'm bearing fruit in every good work, I grow in understanding and knowledge and relationship with God in fellowship with him. And as I grow in fellowship with him, he equips me to do more, to bear more good fruit in every good work. And as I, as I serve him more and bearing fruit in every good work, then I get to know him more. And as I get to know him more, I, I am equipped to bear fruit in every good work. And everything begins to cycle forward in this maturing process. The more I get to know God, the more I serve God. The more I serve God, the more I get to know God. And you might say, well, I, does that really work? Well, it works in the human world. I know if you uh, are a student of uh, professional football, you see this between quarterbacks and receivers. A, a quarterback, and especially the great quarterbacks of days past and present, and uh, they always had their go-to receiver. Roger Stallback always had Drew Pearson. Uh, Terry Bradshaw, boo. Terry Bradshaw always had Lynn Swan. Tony Romo always had Jason Witten. Tom Brady, the Gronk.
So you see this, this in football, you see these quarterbacks and these receivers, and the more they work together, the more they practice together, the more they bear fruit together, the more they get to know each other. They get to, the more they get to know each other, the more they reach their goal of producing fruit and bearing fruit. And the more they bear fruit, the more they work together, the more they serve together, the more they get to know each other. And that's the way it is in football. My goodness, certainly that's the way it is with us and God. Some of us have stalled in our relationship with God because we have stalled in our service to the Lord. I'm not saying service is what opens the avenue for us to know God better, but as we serve him in order to please him, he opens his heart to us and we see more of him and he shows us more. So the ingredients that we need to pray. We pray that, that we would soak and others would soak in the knowledge of God's will. We pray that, that we would grow in service and in fellowship with God. The third ingredient comes uh, again uh, in, in verse uh, 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power toward all patience and long-suffering. So what is this third ingredient that we need to pray? We need to pray uh, that we would be strengthened uh, with God's power. Uh, here's the commitment that we make. If we today make the commitment, God, I'm going to live my life for your pleasure. I, I pray that you would uh, soak my soul, my mind, my heart, my life in a knowledge of your will, uh, giving me wisdom and understanding, applying it to my daily circumstance so that I bring you pleasure. So I walk worthy of you, fully pleasing you. Oh, God, I pray that you would, that, that you would help for me to bear fruit in every good work and grow in the knowledge of who you are, that I would grow in service and in fellowship with you, but God, uh, that's my commitment, and God says, well, I'm making a commitment as well. My commitment is to give you the strength that you need to please me. Uh, God promises to give us the strength that we need to sustain us, to equip us, to empower us every single day to bring him pleasure, to live according to our purpose as the church and as individual followers of Christ, being strengthened with, uh, 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 with all might according to his glorious power. Well, what's the, what, what's the limit to God's glorious power? There is none. Here is the promise from the living God that as we need power, he provides power so that we can please him. Really, we're without excuse. You and I can please God if we're followers of Jesus. The Spirit of God indwells us and awakens in us the very power that we need to accomplish the purpose of God's pleasure. And church, we can please God, regardless of the obstacles, regardless of impossible situations or, or impossible people, we can please God. In fact, can I tell you, that's what uh, Paul is talking about when he says, toward all patience and long-suffering. Patience and long-suffering is, is a picture of God's power applied to our specific situation. It is a power, uh, a promise of God strengthening us so that we can accomplish his purpose. Now, think of it this way. Endurance is God's strength applied to impossible situations and patience is God's strength applied with impossible people. There is no mountain that cannot move when God's power is applied, and there is no hard heart that cannot be melted when God's power is applied. We can please God. He strengthens us 
with all might according to his glorious power. The mountains will be moved, the hearts will be changed, and God will be pleased. We need to pray, oh God, strengthen us according to your great and mighty power. So, the first ingredient that we pray, oh God, will you soak our soul in the knowledge of your will? Second ingredient, God, help us to grow in serve in service and in fellowship with you. And, oh God, the third ingredient, oh God, strengthen us according to your glorious power. And that leads us to the fourth ingredient. We give thanks to God for his work of love. Uh, the last two words in verse 11, with joy, go with verse 12, I believe, with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. Guys, I know that we live in hard days, and you may be experiencing hard times, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are one who has been uh, moved um, from, from darkness to light, from death to life, if you have your sins forgiven, then every day is a day that you and I have reason to give thanks to God with joy, to have gratitude in our heart and joy in our soul every single day, regardless of how bad things may be around you. We have a reason to give thanks. We give thanks. And Paul lists them here. We give thanks first because uh, he has given us an inheritance. He has brought us into his family. We have an inheritance as members of God's family. He has given us, uh, made us to be partakers of an inheritance among the saints in the light. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of you and I who once were exiled by our sin have been brought into, brought near to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're no longer longer orphans. Our orphan heart has a home. We belong to God. We belong to God together. We're part of his family. We give thanks with joy. He goes on. He says, not only are you part of my family, but God has rescued you from the power of darkness. Uh, sin and death and the devil no longer have dominion over us because we're no longer under the law, but we're now under grace. God has rescued us through Jesus Christ, and he has broken and shattered the chains that bound us, the chains of darkness that led us to despair and hopeless, hopelessness every single day. We belong to God. And he has taken us out of the realm of darkness. And he has conveyed us into the son, kingdom of the son of his love. We are now part of God's family. And we dwell under the banner of light that shines brightly in the love of God displayed in the person of Jesus Christ. We give thanks and we rejoice every day. I'm no longer dead in my sin and trespass. I've been made alive together in Christ Jesus. I'm no longer, I'm no longer exiled by my sin, but now I sit at the table with God my Father. I am no longer living in hopelessness and despair, but now I'm dwelling in the, in the family of God under the banner of his love. I, I'm no longer in the cell of my shame, but through Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ, I have been rescued through the shedding of his blood I've received forgiveness for my sin. We give thanks and we rejoice. 
Every day we need to pray this prayer for ourselves, for our family, for our friends, and for our church. Oh, God, we pray that you would soak our soul in a knowledge of your will, that we would grow in service and in fellowship with you, that we would be strengthened according to your glorious power, and that we would give thanks with joy over your work of love in our lives. The very first step is found in the very last verse of this prayer, verse 14. In whom we have, uh, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. The only way for us to please God, to enter into his family, to have our orphan heart and soul find a home, the only way we can get there is through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you have yet to embrace Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, if you have yet to turn from your sin and trust in Christ, his death on the cross as payment for your sin, his resurrection from the dead as your only hope for forgiveness and family with God. If you haven't done that yet, then today is the day for you. I beg you, I invite you, I plead with you, be reconciled to God today. Find life through faith in Christ. You might say, how? How can that happen? The wondrous transaction of God's grace that gives you eternal life, that gives you life here and in heaven, that great transaction of grace that forgives your sin and brings you into the family of God. And God is already at work in your heart right now. And by his spirit, he's drawing you to himself. And he's inviting you by faith to call out to him and ask him to save you, to rescue you, to forgive you based upon what Jesus has done. And if that's the desire of your heart, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Oh God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and my sin has separated me from you and I can't fix that. God, I, I believe, maybe even for the first time, I believe that you sent Jesus on a rescue mission to save me. And God, where my sin has separated me from you, you sent Jesus to offer forgiveness to me. I believe that Jesus is your son, that he died on a cross in my place and for my sin, that you raised him from the dead to give me a new life. So right now, oh God, I pray that you would forgive my sin forever and that you would bring me into your family, not based upon anything that I've done, but based upon what you have done through Jesus for me. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I invite you right now uh, to text Jesus to the number on the screen. Or you can email pastor at firstnorfolk.org. And you let us know that you have taken that step of faith and you are no longer a stranger to God, but now you are a part of his family. As followers of Jesus today, and especially First Norfolk, I just want to invite you to consider the new path that God is calling you to walk now. No longer preeminently concerned with your own pleasure, but supremely concerned with God's pleasure. What is that new path? 
Will you commit to walk for God's pleasure, to live in a way that's worthy of the Lord today? It's going to take some different things for you and for me. Will you make that commitment today? As we sing this song of praise, understand this song is a song about the new thing that God is calling us to. It's it's about that new path that he's calling us to walk, inspired by his spirit, all for his pleasure.